good morning. It is nice to be back here. It's been like 168 hours or so since we've been here. Um, the past couple, as, as uh, Brother Allen kind of mentioned it while he was teaching, uh, we were asked to do this a couple of months ago. Um, and a couple of months ago, I had no idea that we were going to be moving to Franklin. So that's kind of been been crazy. But it's, uh, as you guys know, we've kind of been back every week or so. But um, it is good to be here again. This is, the, I guess, the 16th time that I've uh, been asked to preach, so still a rookie by all accounts, but um, the title for my lesson today is Samson the Weak, and I hope that that is as intriguing to you as I meant for it to be. Um, Samson is most of the time considered a hero in of the Bible. You know, he's, he's in Hebrews chapter 11, and uh, he's one of the stories that we tell the kids, um, but Samson the man was a really good analogy of Christians today. He was very well blessed, but he had a lot of faults. And we're going to look at those, and we're going to draw some parallels to Christian life today. So first of all, let's go back through, the, through Samson's story. I know we've all read it before, but just so that we're all on the same page. Now, Samson was born a Nazarite. In, in uh, Judges 13 and verse 5, we see that, that God tells his mother he is going to be a Nazarite. And there were a couple things that went along with that. One, they were not allowed to do anything with grapes. So no alcohol, no wine, no vinegar, no raisins, nothing. They were not to cut their hair, and they were to avoid corpses, not touch a corpse. <clears throat> and so let's go through the story. So when we first enter into to Samson's life, we see that he found this Philistine wife, and he wanted to, to, to get her. And so he tells, as we heard from the, the scripture a minute ago, tells his parents to go and, and get this, this wife. So they go down to this place called Timnath, is where uh, the wife's parents are. And on the way, there's a lion. And we know that Samson grabs it, cleaves it in two, and leaves it there by the road. No big deal there. On the way, so there was a return trip as he goes back to actually get the wife. And he sees the carcass of the lion there, and bees had uh, had made a nest inside the carcass of the lion, and he grabbed honey, he ate some, and then he took it home and, and took some to his parents. Well, during the wedding, <clears throat> he tells a riddle. So the, the father of his bride gives him 30 companions, 30 friends, uh, kind of as a wedding party, I guess. And he tells them a riddle. <clears throat> the riddle is, out of the eater came forth meat, and out of the strong came forth sweetness. And that's the riddle, and they were supposed to figure out what that was. And he wagered that if they could figure it out, he would give them each a change of clothes, which at that time, 30 changes of clothes would have been uh, uh, pretty hard to come by. But on the other side, if, he, if they couldn't guess the riddle, then they were to give him uh, 30 pieces of clothing. So it, it took about a week, but those people wound up threatening his wife's life to find the answer to the riddle. And through that betrayal, he, uh, they, she told them what the, the answer to the riddle was, and so Samson had to pay up. Well, he went down to Ashkelon, and he killed 30 Philistines, got their clothes, came back, and that's how he paid them back. Now, it's, it's important to note that Samson was, God had a purpose for Samson. God had something against the Philistines. At this time, the Philistines had dominion over the children of Israel, and so God decided he was going to use Samson to fight back. And so the Spirit of the Lord came on Samson. He went down to Ashkelon, killed 30 men. <clears throat> As we go further along, 
Samson, in revenge for this betrayal, he ties some foxtails together, ties some torches in there, sets it through the Philistines' cornfields, and destroys their crop right at this very vital part of the season. Well, they weren't too happy about that, so they went and took Samson's wife and father-in-law, and they burned them. And with that, Samson goes <coughs> and kills more in revenge. It doesn't say how many more on this time. But by this point, the Philistines did not like Samson. He had killed many, many, many Philistines, and they wanted to capture him, but they couldn't. Well, the men of Judah, remember, Philistines had dominion over them. So the men of Judah went and found him, and they said, hey, look, you're causing us a lot of trouble, paraphrasing, obviously. You're causing us a lot of trouble. We need to take you and turn you in. And so Samson let them. And when, he, when they finally turned him over to the Philistines, obviously Samson broke his bonds, grabbed the jawbone of a donkey, and he killed a thousand more Philistines. So the death toll's up pretty high for him now. But after that, the Bible says that he judged Israel for 20 years. And at some point, I'm not sure whether that 20 years happened and then the rest of the story, I'm not really sure, but he went to Gaza, which is one of the main Philistine cities, and he found a harlot, a prostitute, and he went in unto her. And the, the people from Gaza, the Philistines, found out where he was, and they laid in wait to try to kill him. And, of course, that didn't work. He broke the ambush, and he carried the two pillars of the city gates some 40 miles to Mount Hebron. So not only did he get away, but he grabbed their gates and he walked away with them. And then after that, we know the, the rest of the story. Samson meets Delilah, also a Philistine. And actually, this is the first time that the Bible says Samson is in love with somebody. So Samson falls in love with Delilah. And then we know through the betrayal, the five lords of the Philistines offer 1,100 pieces of silver each for her to tell them what the, the source of Samson's strength was. And then three times, Samson tells a lie. And then on the fourth time, he finally tells her. We know that Samson is then captured and his, he's blinded. And then the last thing we hear is, is the, his 3,000 Philistines that he killed in the, in the building when he knocked down the pillars. So that was really quick, but I think we're all on the same page now. So in Samson's life, we're, we're going to break it down into four. So there are four indiscretions, if you want to call it that, that Samson made in his life. And the first one, obviously, was he wanted to marry a Philistine woman. And that wasn't a direct violation of the vow, but if you think of what Nazarite means, it means consecrated or separated, you know, set apart. And here, this set apart, consecrated man is now wanting to jump right into these unclean Philistines. Not to mention, remember the Nazarite vow said, no grapes, no nothing. Well, if you read in um, Judges 14 and verse 5, they go down to the vineyards of Timnath. So that means his wife's parents or father, it's quite possible he owned a vineyard or tended a vineyard or worked in a vineyard somehow. So he is associating himself with people who work with grapes. And that would have been um, breaking the vow. <clears throat> and we see on several occasions, number two, Samson touched a corpse several times, and not by accident. We know that on the way back when he reached down to get the honey out of the lion's carcass, that was touching a corpse. While in Gaza, he used a new jawbone, not an old jawbone, not a bone that had been worked into a tool, not something, but a new jawbone is what the King James Version says that he used. 
And then while he was talking to Delilah, one of the things that he told her that would take his strength was to bind him with green withs. And green withs were new bowstrings that were just taken out of an animal while they're still stretchy, sinew um, from animals. And he told her that's what it would do. And so by his own admission, he was brought into contact with, with a piece of an animal. Well, Samson, his life was ruled by lust. I said there were going to be a lot of analogies between him and people today. Here's one of them. Samson's life was ruled by lust. The, the verse that we had read before the lesson, the very end of it, he said, to get her for me, for she pleaseth me well. Samson was more focused on how this woman looked than what this woman stood for. She wasn't an Israelite. She was a Philistine, yet that didn't seem to matter to him because she was pretty. In Judges 16, we see that he slept with a harlot. Of course, that led to him being ambushed, but again, he made that choice. And then Delilah, also a Philistine. We know from that relationship, he broke that last part of the vow, the Nazarite vow, to not cut his hair. It was through Delilah that that happened. And then lastly, number four, Samson did not glorify God through any of his triumphs. After killing those thousand with the jawbone, the, the Bible says, the first thing he says was, I have slain. I have slain. And apparently he went on and on because the Bible also says when he had made an end of speaking. So it's not that he just said, I've slain, but he kept talking. And after he had done that, he was thirsty. And so he cries out to God. Well, God answers him and rewards him with, with uh, water to drink. He even goes so far as in his prayer to call himself thy servant to God, which is interesting because this place where he got this drink, he called, it's called Inha, I'm, I'm going to mispronounce, it's Inha Kore, which is the spring of the collar, not the spring of God or the spring of help or whatever, but the spring of me, the collar. He did not glorify God in that. And so now, the lesson. So we know that Samson's not the only hero from the Bible that done bad things. Many of these names up here, uh, we know Moses, he, he committed murder, and his pride is what kept him out of uh, the land of, of Canaan. We know David, whether you want to say he committed adultery first and then murder, or murder first and then adultery, he did both. We know how Rahab was a harlot, yet through her work she was saved. And then Judah. Think about Judah. He was the patriarch of the family that brought Jesus, but he solicited a prostitute who happened to be his own daughter-in-law. But he was still given the honor of his family bringing forth the Messiah. And then we know about Paul and all of the things he did before he was uh, brought to Christ. None of this is really surprising. Romans 3.23, we all know this one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And it, that all really does mean all. All of these famous heroes from the Bible, all. All of us. So now let's, let's take from those four indiscretions, let's draw some analogies. So first of all, <clears throat> that indiscretion of going after the Philistines, the people who work with grapes, the great analogy there is, 
if the Philistines are the world and associating with somebody who, you know, works with grapes, which he wasn't supposed to do, we can consider that an analogy for associating with sinners. Now, as I go through these, there's going to be a list of warnings and a list of encouragements that deal with all of these analogies. Um, so if you follow along, it's, it's, it's all scripture, and then I'll read them to you. So first, let's go some, war- uh, some warnings about conforming to the world. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. That lesson fits perfectly with Samson. It is exactly what he did, is what the Bible tells us we should not do. Matthew 12, verse 30. He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Romans 12, verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 13. And I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters. For then must ye needs go out of the world. For now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such an one know not to eat. For what I have to do to judge them also that are without. Do not ye judge them that are within? But them that are without God judgeth. Therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Romans 8 verse 7. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. And finally, James 4 verse 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Now those verses, if you take only that side, you get the idea that the Bible wants us to completely forget all people that we know that are sinners, never associate with them at all, never talk to them, never speak to them. Um, And that's not the case. We know that. Here are some uh, encouragements for seeking the lost. Now there's a difference, before I read these, there's a difference between having a friend, because we all have that friend, you know, maybe he, he tells his, you know, his fish was this big instead of this big, or maybe he drinks, maybe he goes out, maybe he's in an adulterous relationship. We have that friend, we still consider him a friend, we still shake his hand when we see him, um, call him every once in a while. And it's one thing to have that friend, and it's another thing to go, yeah, his fish was this big, you should have seen it, or be over at this person's house while they're drinking alcohol or go on a family trip with this person in his in his adulterous relationship it's two completely things one to know somebody and one to participate in the sin with that somebody and that's the difference between what I've just read and what I'm about to read 
We know that we should not be associating with those, but it's okay to know them. There's a really good chance that you are the only bright spot in that person's life. There's a good chance that you, the Christian, is the only one who's ever going to have set the example for that person for how you should live. And some encouragements on that point. James 5.2, 5.20, excuse me. Let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. 1 Peter 3.15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and in fear. And then there's Mark 16, 15 and 16, the Great Commission. He said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Again, it says go and preach. It doesn't say go and make them believe or force them to believe. Go and preach. If they accept it and obey, good. If they don't, that's not your fault but preach. Philippians 2.13, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. 1 Corinthians 10.27-29, If any of them that believe not bid you to a feast, and ye be disposed to go, whatsoever is set before you eat, asking no question for conscience sake. But if any man say unto you, This is offered in sacrifice unto idols, Eat not for his sake that showed it, and for conscience' sake, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other, for why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? Now, that's kind of an interesting, interesting scripture. The gist of it is, is if you go along with, so, so let's, let's take a, a direct example um, for back in that time period. You were a Christian, and you knew say, a man who worshipped Dagon or Belial or one of those, and they invited you to come over. Well, the Christian, he says the Christian is to come over, participate, eat. Just because they are a sinner doesn't mean you should not go and have dinner, for example, or associate. But if they say, oh, hey, by the way, this is sacrifice to our idol Dagon, and then they're like trying to watch and see what you do, at that point you go, you know, no, look, I'm not eating. So kind of the same, You're, this friend of yours invites you to come along, maybe you do, and they're like, hey, let's go get a drink, or hey, let's go, and then you go, no, I'm not going to do that. That's the parallel for us from that verse. And then we all know Luke 15 is a treasure trove, the three, parable of the lost sheep, parable of the lost coin, parable of the prodigal son, those are three fantastic parables for seeking and saving the lost. <clears throat> let's the next analogy, if it will work. The analogy of, of Samson touching a corpse, we can kind of parallel that over to willful sin, intentional sin. It's not that he touched that corpse accidentally. He reached down and he grabbed it, knowing that his Nazarite vow restricted it, and he violated that on purpose. So there are, as we know, some great warnings in the Bible about sin. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Ephesians 2, 1-6, and you he hath quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, and according to the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, 
among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Romans 5, verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. John 8, 34. Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Remember that. We'll talk about that later. Servant of sin. Revelations 21, 8. <clears throat> but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And Mark 7, 20 through 23. And he said, that which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetous, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. All of these evil things come from within and defile the man. Come from within. That means that, that is, there's no outside source required for man to sin. It is within every man the ability to sin. The temptations, to react to those temptations, sometimes easier than not. Well, most of the times it's easier to react to temptation than to deny it. But those come from within a man. <clears throat> and that comment, that servant of sin, we know that... Things like alcoholism is addictive. We know that those um, addictive things, watching TV can sometimes be considered an addiction. Watching football, watching your favorite TV show 12 hours at a time on Netflix, we can consider those things addictions. Well, what happens when that addiction takes over your life? Well, you are now a servant to that addiction. Well, what if that addiction is sinful, like alcoholism or any of those things? Well, then you are now a servant to sin. Sin can be, well, it's fun, right? Right? Sometimes it's fun. Well, fun is addictive. The chemi chemicals in your brain say, hey, I want more of that. So keep doing it because it's fun. You are now a servant to that sin. But again, the Bible, which it is so very good at, it encourages people who are in that state. And some of those encouraging scriptures. 1 John 1, 5 through 10. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him 
A liar, that's capital H, him, a liar. 1 Corinthians 6, <clears throat> 9 to 11. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. He's telling this to the Corinthians. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And back to Corinthians with the second letter, verses 10, I'm sorry, chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We'll take a look at that passage a little bit more. Let me read verse 4 again. <clears throat> For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now, what does that mean? The things that we fight as Christians, it's not other people. Like, we don't get swords and fight with other people. This day and age, we're fighting with ideas. We're fighting against ideas, ideologies of these other groups, thing, you know, the relativism, the there are no absolutes. You ask them if they're sure, they go, absolutely, I'm sure that there's no absolutes, right? Um, we're fighting against ideas. And us as Christians, we have to know those ideas that we stand for before we can go and fight or argue or whatever you want to say, debate with those other ideas. And that's what this verse is saying. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not physical. But they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And I don't know what else you would call the liberal media that's out there and the things that are going on in this country other than a stronghold that is ours to tear down. And with God, we definitely have the mighty weapons to do so. And final is another encouragement <clears throat> for those that need to repent. Second Peter verse two, chapter 2, verse 9. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under the day of judgment to be punished. Let's go on to the third, the third part, the third indiscretion about Samson's life being ruled by lust. There's no, no analogy needed here. There is no difference between Samson's life and most of us here. Now, when we were down in Franklin, I guess the first weekend that we were there, as I was driving by a smaller congregation, I noted on the sign that Brother Tom Holland was leading a gospel meeting there. And so we went um, that, to that Sunday service, and he was spouting off some, some statistics, and one of them scared me to death. He was talking about fornication and those kind of things, and I don't know where he got the numbers. Um, I wish I could have found them, but he said somebody was doing a study on pornography in the church. And the numbers that came back were that 50% of the men in congregations of the Lord's Church do something with pornography on a regular basis. 50%. That means all you guys. None of you guys. All you guys. 50%. And 30% of the women 
50% of the men and 30% of the women did something with pornography. That, that scares me. That frightens me. That us, the ones who have the ideas, the ones who have the power, the mighty God, half of us aren't worth anything when it comes to standing up for our beliefs. We're hypocrites, right? Half of us. But Samson's life was ruled by lust. There are several warnings. We've heard most of them, but I'm going to read them anyways. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16, and then later in verses 19 through 21. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. In verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You know, one of the things that Alan said this morning during the Bible class is, if you hear something more than once, it's important. Well, that list of things that I just read off, that's the third time that I've led, read something similar to that list. So maybe we should pay attention to that. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3 through 5. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. Let me read that verse 4 again. For every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Long and short, we're better than that. We're better than 50%. We were created by God in his image and redeemed by his son who died for us. Angels can't say that. We're higher than the angels. We'll judge them. I think I actually have that up here later, so I skipped ahead. Sorry. But we're better than 50% when it comes to being a life ruled by lust. Aren't we? Shouldn't we be? Continuing on, Colossians 3, verse 5. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. 1 John 2, verse 16. <clears throat> For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now, all of those are kind of downers, but again, if you hear it once, okay, if you hear it twice, you should listen. If you hear it 20 times, well, maybe you should take note. But there is some encouragement for us. The Bible says for us to focus, instead of those things, on spiritual things. Things that are, again, those ideas, those moral center that we have from the Bible that the rest of the world is lacking. 2 Timothy 2, verse 22. Flee also youthful lusts. Youthful. You know, the things that, that you were when you were a teenager, grown up, hormones, puberty, those things that got you excited then, well, they're youthful lusts. They should be no more in an adult, much less in a Christian adult. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, and with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. 
Romans 8, 6, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Galatians 6, 8, for he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. I'm going to skip a few for time's sake here, but Psalm 119, very poignant term, 9 through 10. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word? With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wonder from thy commandments. <clears throat> and lastly, Samson did not glorify God. Again, there's no analogy needed. There are so many times that we as Christians do not glorify God. We are quick to go to him when we need help. When something is wrong, we ask for prayers. But when things are going right, how many times do we celebrate and thank God? Maybe after the fact we do, when somebody reminds us, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. But how many times are we truly thankful when something good happens? And the first person we go to is God for thanks. Not the first thing you do is put it on Facebook and wait for likes. Right? <clears throat> but he did not glorify God. I won't go through all these, but I do want to remind you guys what, about what Daniel says. This is when he's talking to Belshazzar, talking about his, his uh, father, Nebuchadnezzar. But when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from the kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild asses, and fed him with grass like oxen. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the most high God ruled in the kingdom of men, and that he appointeth over it whomsoever he will. And thou his son, O Belshazzar, hath not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this. So again, Belshazzar knew that God was God. He knew that he existed, but he didn't humble his heart but hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven. And they have brought the vessels of his house before thee, and thou, and thy lords, thy wives, and thy concubines, have drunk wine in them, and thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold, of brass, iron, wood, and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know. And the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, hast thou not glorified. Now that's, that's a pretty long list of things that Belshazzar did to ignore God. Excuse me. He rose, rose all those things up higher. And as we think about our lives, how many things do we lift up before higher than, rather, God? You might not even think that you do. But think about it. But there are some great encouragements in the Bible. Matthew 5 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is heaven. Let your light shine. Again, we're better than that. We're better than Samson, aren't we? 1 Corinthians 6.20, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. What price was that? We're bought with a price. Jesus died for us. We're better than this. Psalms, there's three more verses from Psalms that I thought were very poignant. Psalm 50, verse 23. Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me. And to him that ordereth his conversation aright will I show the salvation of God. Psalm 115, verse 1. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. 
in Psalm 83, verse 18, that men may know that thou, whose name alone is Jehovah, art the most high God over all the earth. That men may know that thou, whose name alone is Jehovah, art the most high over all the earth. So to wrap it up, we can kind of conclude that Samson was quite possibly the worst Nazarite ever. He broke all three vows on purpose. The decisions that he made in his life directly violated the thing that he was born for. And so how many of us, at times in our lives, if you look back, can, can, can consider ourselves maybe the worst Christians ever? Is there a point in your life, maybe a low spot, you know, we all have those, where things in your life just were not going well, and you did not handle it as well as you probably should have. We've all been there. Samson, unfortunately, did it quite a bit. All of us have those connections in the world we shouldn't have. Again, that friend that maybe you shouldn't associate with, or maybe that friend that you need to go and help. We all have those friends, but I want to challenge you. If you have this friend you know of that needs help, and the first thing on your mind isn't, hey, I need to go bring Jesus to this person. I need to invite this person to church. I need to make sure that the example that I set before this person is a good one. I challenge you to be better than you are now. Bring that person to Jesus. Try your hardest. If they refuse you, turn away from them. That's what the Bible says. But you got to try. There's no reason not to. If you're going to try and you lose a friend, you've lost a friend. Maybe you shouldn't have been friends with that person in the first place. First place if they're going to be so adamant against it. And even through all of his faults, Samson was still mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, that what we call the roll call of faith. You've all, we know he was there. All of his faults, he was still there. So through all of our faults, we can be justified in knowing that, you know, the book of life, that's a pretty close analogy to the roll call of faith. When this life is over, those are the names that are going to be recognized as the ones who did well. Are we going to be there? Are we better than where we are now? Can we be better than what we are now? We're more than just bodies and souls. We're, again, we're, we're better than the angels. We were given great power over them. Now, the pathway to salvation is clear. If you're here today and you have not already accepted Jesus as your Savior, or if you're here and you have that friend who has not, there's no better place to start than the plan of salvation. Now, as an IT engineer, logical, when I'm talking with friends at work, you know, when we talk about religion, I say if you take all of the pieces that talk about salvation, all of those words, you scrum them together and you rip out the duplicates, and that is the plan of salvation. We hear the word. You have to hear it first, or what do you know to believe? Then obviously you have to believe it, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and you have to confess that publicly. Once you make that confession, confession that is the rock that Jesus has built his church on, that, he, that you believe that he is the son of God. That is the foundation of his church. Repent from your sins, turn away from them, and finally be baptized. Come into contact with Christ's blood. We are cleaned and washed, and we can begin our life anew with a new goal, with a new purpose, to be better than we have been. If you're subject to the invitation today, please come forward as we stand and as we sing.